Hey you, thanks for being a valued listener of Remedial Herstory. Please consider subscribing so we can keep bringing you content. I wanted to let you know about a few things we offer beyond the podcast. If you love what we're talking about here, then you are going to love the Remedial Herstory Master's Classes we have linked in the show notes and on our website. We have three courses, one on pedagogy, U.S. history, and world history, and of course, talking about women in all of those contexts. We also have an annual Summer Educators Retreat, which is in person. Details about that are on our website. Our website is also packed with learning materials, including articles for every era of U.S. and world history that we built with a collaboration of over 20 historians. We also have lesson plans for elementary, middle, and high school that involve analysis of primary source material and get students doing history. We also have a video series that goes along with that. All of this is only possible because of the generous contributions from our patrons. You can also support Remedial Herstory at remedialherstory.com giving or by becoming a monthly patron at patreon.com slash remedialherstory. Thanks for helping us make Herstory. Hey, Kelsey. Hey, Brooke. Want to tell everyone what's happening in today's episode? Brooke, today we are going to be talking about boys and how they're not doing super great in schools. Ugh, man. Timely topic. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get into it. Hello, and welcome to Remedial Her Story, the other 50%, the podcast that explores what happened to the women in history class. Now, here's your host, Kelsey Brooke Eckert, and her partner in crime, Brooke Neva Sullivan. All right, so Brooke... <laughs> We have this whole podcast and mission to promote women's history. And in our first season, we talked a lot about how it's really important to get people talking. Well, in order to get women, people talking about women's history and women's issues, we have to be okay with controversy. We also need to be able to hold sort of like difficult things, difficult ideas at the same time. Yep. And I am equal parts concerned about (laughs) the lack of inclusion of women in history curriculum and the way that, and the fact that women are, uh, you know, are are plateauing in the field of history. Yeah. You know, the, you know, various positions that historians hold. And also at the same time, I'm really concerned about boys in schools. Say more. So, um, one, one thing I wanted to sort of pull everybody towards is there's a uh, new book um, published this year by one of the researchers for, from the Brookings Institute. It's called Of Boys and Men, and it's by Richard V. Reeves. It's a really great book. And he was on the Ezra Klein show, which is a New York Times episode uh, or, or podcast. Um, so if you're interested in that, I'm going to put both of those in the show notes here. Um, the book caught my attention and the episode caught my attention because this is something that I've been thinking about actually for yeah. a really, really, really long time. I know. We talked about it previously that this is something that's of concern. It's interesting there's a book that you had a chance to kind of take a deeper dive into this. Yeah. What I really like about him um, is, first of all, he does all the things that I want him to do, which is hold two things at the same time. We can be concerned about women's rights and we can be concerned about boys' performance in schools. We can support, you know, initiatives that close the pay gap 
and we can support initiatives that put funding into supporting boys in schools. We can, you know, like both of those can be true at the same time and both of them are problems. And he points out some of the, I think appropriately points out some of the hypocrisy of women's advocates where when you bring up issues that impact men, they are like, yeah, but, you know, women have needs. It's like, yeah, yeah, that's true. Also, (laughs) boys have needs. You know, they have these things. These two things can be true at the same time. These two things can exist at the same time. Honestly, he does such a good job and he's, you know, he's an analyst for the Brookings Institute. So there's tons of data to back up what he's saying. And I almost, I almost want to just direct everybody to listen to that before you come back and tune into what I'm about to say, because I want to almost say that's true and then move forward with what do we do about that sort of stuff. Okay. But some of the things that he talks about, I'll give some like summary ideas. what, What is he highlighting? Yeah. One of the biggest things is all of this stuff we all know. In fact, we all talk about it. It's yeah. not like, you know, it's not even just people in schools and education. So one of them is girls' brains mature a year or so earlier than boys do. Is that a fact? Yeah. Good There's to like tons of n- neuroscience to support that. And we can see that in the fact that a lot of girls are in romantic relationships with boys that are a year or two older than them, right? (laughs) Including the two people on this podcast. I didn't marry someone two years older than me. Yeah, but it's like because the boys (laughs) your age are not as mature as you are. And so you're looking for people that are older, more just like on your playing field. On your level, yeah. On your level. How that impacts boys in schools is they start kindergarten at the same time based on birthdays. And yeah. so from, you know, from his perspective, the boys are at a disadvantage on the first day of school and it impacts. And, you know, and so if you think about it from a maturity standpoint, you know, maturity is a huge part of being an academic. Oh, yeah. Right. Like, well, be, there's being there's, organized, being respectful. Yeah. There's classroom skills and learning skills and those sort of things. But there's behavioral maturity from an academic standpoint. So it's not just those skills, it's also there's actual intellectual skills that the boys are a year behind on. And it is most (laughs) pronounced. Boys and girls are about equal in science and math. um, And that's because girls have caught up since Title IX. And so they've gotten on par with boys. Yep. And, you know, he talks a lot about how Title IX transformed education and was this huge, amazing thing for girls. But girls really quickly surpassed boys in academic achievement. And today, you know, 60% of college graduates are women. Yeah. Which is great for girls. And he, uh, one of the things I love about what he talks about in his book and in the podcast episodes, he goes, that's great for girls. Now we should be asking why are only, you know, why are boys not completing college? Well, yeah, when they had the competitive edge prior to Title IX. Yeah. It should have just come up at the same time. It should have been like all ships rise. Everybody's rising. And instead... It's now tipped the scale so significantly that yeah, we're it talks not, a and lot we're not about how that. academia uh, is designed to favor skills that girls just are better at, and so interesting. Even what in, are what are girls better at? Well, the biggest the biggest area where girls are outperforming boys is literacy subjects that concern literacy, and so I'm thinking about our audience. 
who are predominantly you know interested in history, which is a lit, you know that's <laughs> a literary reading, subject, yeah, le- reading heavy field. And then we have a lot of English teachers who listen to our podcast. Yep. And you well, know, when you think about those fields and the educators in it, and we have a lot of data on and the history, gender of history educators. I imagine it's very similar in the opposite direction in English. Yeah, I mean, more women. Every staff that I got to observe, work with, be part of for English education was predominantly female. And there would be like maybe one male on staff. So, I mean, part of our stitch, right, is that like history is the Mm -hmm. only subject in K to 12 schools where men outnumber women. So what's, this is my thing. I hate pointing that out, that statistic out, because again, I'm holding two things at, at one time. I am very concerned about that. I think it's very weird that men don't don't have any like are not involved in any other subject areas except history so they're telling the story of humanity and they're perpetuating these gendered views on on our students but at the same time i'm also very concerned that women outnumber men in elementary schools little boys need role models oh yeah right i'm really concerned that you know like literature like you're talking about that like it's predominantly female right so men can't point things out about literature, right? Like, like, yeah. can't they help us think about these and see see this through diverse lenses? Or journalism or yeah. Yeah, writing, poetry, all the things yeah. that come into literary classrooms. But even, you know, even science and math, <clears throat> female teachers outnumber male, which is uh, so contrary to conversations that people have about w- getting women in STEM. Anytime that one group's like outnumbering another group, we should be asking like, what inequities are, are making that yeah, happen. happen. Like, where is that stemming from? And, you know, his biggest solution that he talks about in his book and on the podcast episode that I'm going to put in the show notes is holding boys back a year and just delaying their school start time. It's so interesting because I don't, when we get to do a small little study of our own families, I mean, you have boys in your family. I have boys in my family, um, not our own children, but siblings and cousins and those sort of things. Actually, majority of my male cousins were held back a year in school. Yeah. My nephews, same thing, held back a year in school, and it wasn't due to academically not being able to move forward. They could do math and reading and science. All of them it was always behavioral based. They were yeah. a little socially not ready to go forward. Yeah, and so the teachers would come forward to the parents and say, "You know, we we'd like to hold X Y Z person back. You know, and and this is why we're we yeah. think they're not behaviorally ready for the next phase, and we even get to make this choice as parents." when to put our kids into school like there is a cutoff date but like my son's birthday is in january i can decide yeah maybe he wait a year because he'll be the youngest in his class and give him a year and he'll be the oldest in the next class which would just be a really good place to start from for him yeah so the tricky thing is that and one thing he points out is there's a huge privilege aspect here because you're right like you can choose and a lot of people from affluent families are already making this choice. This isn't shocking information. So this is an issue that impacts boys from low-income families and predominantly boys of color. Yeah, and because they their families don't have the same access to childcare and those sort of things as well. Right. And the consequence of holding kids back a year from starting kindergarten is that means they have to pay for one more year of 
childcare, daycare. Yep. And that's an expense. That's a very expensive choice. Totally. So, um, you know, this kind of, you know, it's interesting because this goes hand in hand with a lot of, and it, what he's talking about is actually not contrary to what women's rights advocates are talking about because they're saying we need free childcare, you know, yeah. or, or, you know, government sponsored childcare for families. And that would help so help so many parents make choices for their boys that would actually help them in later years in school. But you were talking about doing sort of a family analysis, and I asked permission of my family members to oh, share this with nice. you guys. So I have two sisters and two stepbrothers. My two sisters have college degrees, um, undergraduate degrees, and Lindsay also has a master's degree. My two stepbrothers both are college dropouts. Interesting. My two sisters are married to two guys, and both of them are college dropouts. My two stepbrothers who are college dropouts are both married to women or with partners that have college degrees. And so in my family, uh, there are five of us siblings. Yeah. And the gender gap for my four siblings, for my four siblings, um, is exactly what this data is showing. Yeah. All the girls, 100% of the girls uh, have degrees and 100% of the boys are college dropouts. And my husband and I are the only exception where we both have graduate degrees. Um, yeah, you don't only just have your bachelor's, you have your master's and then some. <laughs> yeah, and Jeff, and Jeff does too. Um, but I, you know, as I was reading his book, that was in the back of my mind. Totally. And I can't tell you how many t conversations I've had with my two stepbrothers because I'm a decade or more older than both of them. And so, um, and I didn't, act, I actually didn't meet my stepbrothers until I was about 21. So, you know, it's just, we just have a very different relationship, but I, sure. um, you know, kind of like a older mentor slash friend yeah. relationship. And, you know, but they both, you know, because I was a teacher, they both like asked me questions about things. Um, they both struggled in schools, obviously. And, mm -hmm. you know, one of my brothers would ask me a lot, like, why do you assign papers to your students? It's so, you know, <laughs> and I'd have to like defend writing papers. And both of them had, you know, it was, it was hard being a teacher, honestly, and yeah. having them be so anti-school. Like they vocalized their frustrations with school over yeah. and over and over again to me. And you know, I think some of it is, you know, it's it's hard because one of the things he talks about is like a lot of people think the solution is making these boys be like girls. And, they, they you know, apparently mm. in, in homes where there are, you know, both boy and girl siblings, they'll say like, be, be more like your sister. Like apparently that's a common refrain that some Having, boys. It was just me and my brother. And I'm sure my brother would be okay if I shared this. It was, it would be in both directions in different categories, depending, yeah. you know, it was like, be more like your sister in this, be more like your brother in that. Yeah. Because they're trying to create a more balanced dynamic, but you have two separate genders in your household. So it's incredibly challenging to placate to one. Being a parent of same gender children, way easier. Yeah. Like I see friends who have both and I don't know that they would say that it's hard or not, but it looks harder because you're playing to two different teams. You're mm. playing to two different interests, two different skill levels, two different behavioral levels, two mm. different – and yes, their ages might be different sometimes, but it's it's definitely a dynamic and you have to kind of figure out how to manage that. And I imagine having two students in your home of different genders growing up experiencing that 
my brother was really great at school. I struggled, which mm. is, you know, probably counter to this data. But it was more that my brother exhibited typical female behaviors of very quiet, very, mm-hmm. you know, focused and, and, you know, very calm behaviors. And I probably more exhibited those of male mm-hmm. counterparts of very outgoing, really rambunctious, couldn't sit down. You know, there's counterpoints to that. But yeah. it's interesting that when you come out with both of those, you know, so my brother and I coming out of high school or out of middle school, grades relatively the same, mm-hmm. even though those behaviors were drastically different. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because, you know, he talks a lot about the skills of being an academic because like, I know you and I watch you because um, you still are that person, you yeah. know, like that's how you do your life. But you also like take vigorous notes. You like have calendar reminders. Alexa is like your best friend, <laughs> you know, like you have all these have tools. skills, you have all these tools that you use. And, you know, he talks a lot about how boys need clubs that help teach them those tools. And I've actually thought about creating a club at my school and my college that's called like how to be a man club. But like I can't <laughs> I can't facilitate that club, right? Because it needs to be a male role model who says, here's how you get your act together yeah. in the academic setting. And here's how we men do it, you know? Um but but girls do that stuff naturally. And you know it's interesting because my husband is the exception in the, my family. Yep. Uh, he's the only man, man of my generation in the family with a college degree and then, of course, a graduate degree on top of that. But he still fits the pattern in a lot of ways because he's just one of those quick-witted people. Yeah. You say it to him one time, it's locked in, you know, like he doesn't need to take notes in class because he's got it. Yeah. And like that person is a one in a million kind of intellectual. Yep. And a lot of boys are overconfident in their intellectual ability. They want to be like Jeff. They want to be the stoic, like, I don't need to, like, fuss around with notes and stickies and highlighters and pink crap that all the (laughs) girls do, right? Yeah. And Jeff is just unique in that he probably actually doesn't need to do that. And I've taught so many students. Yeah. And I can tell you that all of them need to do that. And then there's, like one kid in like my entire career (laughs) that didn't need to do that. And Jeff just happens to be that person. No, I mean, to give you a counterpoint to that, my husband has tons of tools and resources for him, but he learned them through some great educators growing up. His high school had two courses that were college prep. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a, a curriculum. It was preparing you for college life, how to study, how to plan your calendar, how to make sure you're eating well, how to make sure you're exercising well. It's basically a, a training class for adulthood. And yeah. he had an opportunity to go through it. And so his planner, if well, you... Can I ask, was it taught by a man or a woman? Do you know? He, one by a man, one by a woman. Okay. And they both did college level writing yep. skills. Like so college. you actually started to write your college essays in that class. Mm-hmm. You started to research the colleges you wanted to go to. You did career exploration. Really great opportunity for all of these kids. And it's something that he's talked about a lot. Like if I didn't take that class... yeah. Because he pulled out his planner, and you would think this is a f- woman's planner, like, right. and that's no hit on anybody. No, but, but it's I think very the skilled. Fact that you said that though just talks about how. I mean, our whole thing with remedial history is gendering yeah. the past, right? And thinking about things through gendered lenses, and we have to do that for men too. Yes, and this is a whole area where. <laughs> 
if if you to take what you just said, if you take good notes, yep. If you are have an organized planner and there are notes. sticky notes, you are therefore a woman, right? Uh, yeah. Like he like he can't you know like it looks like a woman's thing. That's it's, what you just said. Like that's I don't. Wild. But it's funny. I don't have that. I have everything's on electronics because I let yeah. automation run my life. I love tech. Yeah. But he is very. Has to write it down. Got to be in a notebook. And he's got kids doing. Uh, he's a principal, so he also has students doing it too. Of like, where's your planner? How are you gonna plan out your week? He maps out our whole week in time increments. Yeah, and it's a very learned mechanism. Like Sunday night, he's like, okay, I have four hours to get this done. Let me map that out. I'm gonna walk back from Friday into Monday, see when I can get this done. It's very m- methodical and yeah. mathematical, and so it's like, okay. Helps my crazy brain because I also have ADHD, so it's mm. another component of that. But he he gets it all organized and gets it done. And I think, but it's such a learned habit because when you see his parents, who both you know his father's college educated as well, doesn't have all those tools and things, and you can see how spastic he can be sometimes. But because Mike knew that about himself, yeah, he's very regimented. It's very analytical and very documented which i think is a unnatural it looks unnatural and Mm. now it's learned and it's a habit yeah so i mean i think that's the point and he talks a lot reeves talks a lot about how making men is both nature and nurture right and so one of the things we have to be careful of you talked before about how you know kids going into kindergarten get held boys going into kindergarten get held back because they're more aggressive and rambunctious and yeah it's hard to calm down that's the natural state of manhood yeah. Right. And so like we don't we can't take that away from them. And I, think and I don't want teachers, them to feel othered or disciplined because of how they naturally are. It's like yeah. that's who they are. Let them be kids. Yeah. So, you know, this is a great argument for standing desks. Like I oh, when gosh, I'm teaching yeah. my pre-service teachers, I talk a lot about if you have a 45 minute class period, that needs to be in three chunks, three 15 minute chunks. Yep. And so what's happening in the beginning part that's active and engaging? What's the work part? That's the middle 15 because they're warmed up and ready to go for it. But you only have 15 minutes. Yeah, like nail it. Nail it. And then what's the 15-minute closing that gets them up and moving or transitioning to another group or whatever? Like what are they doing for that last 15 minutes? And I think that those types of things would help boys in school Mm -hmm. that are more inclined to be rambunctious. And, you know, I taught high school. So those 15 minute chunks are appropriate for 15 year olds. If you have six year olds, you've got six minute chunks. Go. Oh, yeah. Or even three. It's like you got to break it down. Yep. I can remember planning out a fifth grade classroom curriculum. And it was like, I had I had a 35-minute class and I had another 55-minute class and each one of them I broke into five-minute little like snippet, 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 video, content, da-da-da. Like you – it was planning for so much stuff. In his book, not in the podcast, he talks a bit about um, risk being a male behavior and, you know, taking more risks, um, doing things – I love this. Doing things that are risky and I think – that's that's where grit comes from. That's where a lot of these skills that we want people to have comes from. And there's sort of this weird data where women are actually taking more risks. Like girls are studying abroad more than boys are mm-hmm. now. Like I studied abroad three times in college, <laughs> like I'm a, which I'm a huge proponent of. I've taken students abroad as a teacher to France, to China. Like I think it's a really cool thing that people should do. Yeah. And boys are doing that not as frequently. And you would think it'd be the opposite because they have this inclination towards risk. 
And I think when they're not being nurtured into healthy ways to take risks, they end up taking risks in really unhealthy ways. That makes sense. He also talks about how male violence appears in places where male competition is steep. And he gave this really cool sort of anecdotal story that I just want to share with everybody because yeah. this is so interesting. So in China, they created that one child program um, to try to reduce the population in a couple of generations. And the effect of that was that there was like high levels of infanticide for female babies. Or, yeah. um, where I shouldn't say infanticide, um, like abortions of female fetuses. And, you know, you had little girls being left up for adoption at, at orphanages so that they could try again and see if they could get a boy. So now there's this larger population of men mm -hmm. and they are more competitive for female mates and the effects <laughs> so so i'm concerned about this in this moment in chinese history because it's a women's rights issue like mm -hmm. super messed up women's rights issue but the interesting correlation is with this policy they have skyrocketing violence like crime violent crime in China. It's and it's because men are more competitive with each other. And so they, you know, it, it breed that, that risky, more violent, more physically aggressive behavior sort of like takes off during that time. So what's interesting about this is I've taught classes and I, I wish I knew this 10 years ago when I started teaching because I've taught classes where boys are just being aggressive, 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 aggressive. And I didn't know how to deal. Like I, I didn't ask the, why, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I knew sometimes it was like obvious why, like, one boy. You, but know, you didn't know how to interrupt the, the constant. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it was interesting because one of one situation was I was teaching a class. It was the biggest classroom I ever taught. And, and I, I'm very privileged. So I'm going to share this and all the teachers are going to roll their eyes and judge me harshly. But the largest <laughs> class I ever taught had 22 students in it. And my classroom was built for 20. And so we had to cram two more seats into Oh my gosh, desk. such a challenge. I know, there's people out there who are like, <laughs> I literally have 35 people in my room yeah. every Knock year. it off, there's only standing room only. Yeah, so I'm sorry to those people. So, you know, you've got 22 people, 20 of them were boys and two of them were girls. That dynamic right there set me up for failure because to what he's talking about with this one child policy, there's competition in this yeah. space and it's it's a even if they're not like competing for those two girls in any romantic sense like no 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 but they're also competing for attention against each other mm -hmm. it's not even like but adding more women into that dynamic is going to equal out that behavior which is really interesting yeah and i i mean all year long i battled behaviors yeah. in that class it was the hardest class i ever taught and I mean, I had books thrown at me. I had like violent, angry, you know, bursts like yeah. every day in that class. <laughs> and, and it's wild, uh, you know, just thinking about it in retrospect, there's so many things from a structural systemic lens that I think we should have been looking at a bit better. And he talks a lot about that. Like when there are women's rights issues, pe people are really quick to jump on. This is a systemic issue. Da, 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 da. Yeah. And it's like, we all know boys have been struggling. Like I literally talk about this with writing, like for girls, my challenge with making them better writers is cut it down, you know, be more succinct with your writing. For boys, it's like, could you please, dear God, elaborate? Like, yeah. You know, like two sentences does not an essay make. Yeah, that's a really interesting dynamic. One of the things that comes to mind for me is um, when 
we it's actually from like when we were bringing people over to America to try and build colonies. Mm. It was only men for a long time. Yeah, in Virginia. Yeah, in, yeah, in Virginia. And then they finally were like, "This is getting too toxic, too violent. These men are not great by themselves. We need to input women." And it was a lot of religious beliefs that that why they wanted this to happen. But as soon as they brought women over. The violence decreased. Yeah. <laughs> the the yeah. challenges of management yeah. decreased. The people taking off and stealing from each other decreased. It was like civilization because yeah. they just were not competitive with well, each other. You, you know, in the New England <coughs> colonies at Plymouth Rock, um, they came over as families. Right. And so they exactly. didn't have the same dynamic. They didn't have the same. I mean, they had issues, but they didn't have the same issues that yeah. Virginia had because they had all those single men. Yeah, you're right. So there's like some really good study points you can pull in there. But it's so interesting that he brings it up. And. I'll even give you a point of common day. Women won't apply for jobs. It's still a statistic. It's starting to decrease, which is great. But they won't apply to jobs unless they think they meet at least 80% of the criteria that's mm-hmm. required in the position. Men will apply if they believe they meet 30% of the criteria. Yeah, that, like risk. Like that's whatever. Risk. Yeah, that's full tot- like oh, I'm confident enough to know I can handle whatever that job is. Mm-hmm. And I'm risky enough to apply to it. And yeah. women are not. But that same thing that makes them really good on the job market makes them really bad in academia because like, you know, how many boys have I taught? <laughs> it's, it's endless. That just start writing their paper like two hours before it's due. Oh, totally. You know, or like don't spend time doing the research because they're like, well, I get the, I get the point. So I'll just, I'll start writing the paper. And so it's not a very like dense paper. It doesn't have a lot of primary source material or analysis. Where I'm, I bet the counterpoint to that is women's papers are so long and you're and just like dense. And I'm like, dear God, like, give me your voice. But they're also this. maybe counterbalancing yeah. where they feel like they're compensating for knowledge. They're like, well, yeah. I'm not as confident in this topic. I'm going to overdo it. Yeah. I think, on this theme of risk, you know, he talks about how when we look at awards given by police departments and the military for valor, mm. it's all about awarding risk. And this is an area where we see men's natural risk taking shine because they are so willing to sacrifice themselves for other people. Like, yeah. And, you know, over and over and over again, we see men doing that. And I think if teachers can remind themselves in school that this risky behavior that you're seeing, if it can be channeled towards service, towards heroism, towards, you know, yep. being a leader, like, man, we can be making really amazing boys that are going to serve our communities and our world really, really well. I think we need to, especially since most educators are women, we ne- women need to start making the flip that this isn't a behavior that we need to tell them to or stop stamp doing out, yeah. and, and crush out. This is something that we need to nourish and foster and encourage and funnel, and funnel towards, you know, uh, like really good ways that risk can serve people. Yeah. Um, Like it seems like you can't sit down right now in the classroom. Is there something that you could do that would help others in this moment? Maybe you can go around and collect all the papers and bring them up to my desk. You know, like be a helper. Be a helper. Find those opportunities where that kid can use their skills in a positive direction. Yeah. And for people like like me in pre-service, you know, teaching areas, like we need to be recruiting more men into our field. Yeah. And preparing more male educators because this problem is is years out. And, you know, part of it is like, you know, women can do their best to encourage these things. But we also need men like modeling that boys can be in caring professions like teaching and nursing and, you know, early child care. I feel really lucky that my son has a teacher who's a man in his uh, preschool classroom. Like that's so amazing. 
So, you know, this is a really big issue. And I think as, you know, as advocates to look at gender as this like huge impact on our lived experiences, we can't ignore the way that gender impacts boys. Yeah. And I'm concerned about, I'm, I'm concerned about boys because, you know, they're, they have, you know, higher suicide rates and all these things that come from, I think, not having fulfillment in many areas. Yeah. And, and celebration and in, in who their natural state is. Yeah. Like, you know, when things aren't going well for you at work, like you're also an amazing mom and you get to like go home and, and that part of your life can be strong. Yeah. Um, and you're also a great athlete and like you could, you know, like you just had this amazing mile running accomplishment <laughs> that you can like, you know, cheer for yourself about and feel good about. And I think, you know, and it, he, he talks a lot about men having, you know, declining friendships. Um, and my colleague, Kenneth, who uh, is in the English ed program, which I also love that you know, the guy facilitating English mm -hmm. ed now is, is a man, not a woman, to sort of like change that gendered lens. He talks a lot about men are touchers, like they're, phys you know, they're physically aggressive, but, but also in loving ways. Sensory. They, they hug each other. They high five each other. There's a lot of like touch going yeah. on. It's physical. In schools, we've cut touch out of, oh, the, yeah. out of the space. It's um, all inappropriate. It's inappropriate. Yeah. <laughs> stop touching each other. Stop whatever. And it's like, like, it is, you know, like there's, there's bad touching, but, but like touch is also a love language and yeah. we need to let touch exist in schools in and ways that are positive and, and comfortable. But yeah, it's true. I mean, my son just got in trouble this week for being too rough with his, his, his fellow student and the two of them were just being goofy at, at circle time and yeah. they asked to go sit at the tables by themselves and it's like, they just they're friends. They're yeah. joking around. It's yeah. like that's tough that's a tough moment. But not one that that teacher was like, I'm not concerned. They're boys. And like immediately she was very much like, I'm used to this. Yeah. We gotta figure it out. They just need to know when they can be physical and yeah. what's appropriate. And so I like that they were redirecting them to like, you can rough house outside at re recess. You yeah. can go do those things in other places, but when it's classroom time, yep. figure it out. Yeah. Circle it in. <laughs> yeah. But I think, you know, yet another one. So this, you know, what we're talking about here, this is only the like stepping stone. Yeah. I do think that one thought that I had over and over again while listening to this book was this is why we need women's history. Yes. And what, what was coming to mind was how many men I have encountered in my research that I would not have encountered if I wasn't looking for these women. And you know, one of them comes, one of them comes to mind is um, Susan B. Anthony's dad. Yeah. I, I wrote a whole research paper on him in graduate school. And, you know, I should have written, I should have written it about, I should have written it about Susan B. Anthony, but I wrote it about her dad because he's a remarkable guy who supported the people in his life. And he was a role model and yeah. a champion for women's rights. And if we only look from if we only look at the men who traditionally make it into history, we don't allow these sort of like caregiving yeah. advocate men exactly. to get in there too. Exactly. Yeah. Or the or the vice versa, the women that are doing it for men too. Right. Yeah. Totally believe that. Well, this was great, Kels. I'm excited about that book and yeah. the podcast. So they'll yeah. both be in the notes. We'll put them both in the show notes. And I hope people check them out because I think a lot of us have, you know, and I hope I didn't skip intro too much you know you know 
feature oh, on yeah. Netflix and, and Amazon <laughs> Prime where you can you can skip the intro. You know, there's there's a lot there, and I think there's. I think the I'm, data would be really exciting to to read into. Yeah, I think that's really. And interesting. I'm sure a lot of people, as they're listening to us, are going like have counter arguments in their mind, and I promise you, he addresses a lot that's of counter arguments. I love that. that you might be thinking. So I hope you go check those out um, and begin this conversation in your families and in your schools and um, be thinking about, you know, how we can be serving boys better. Yeah. Speaking of, if you hear a lot of noise in the background of this episode, my son Luke has been hanging out with us today. So there's a few little things. And he's doing an awesome job. He is. And he's so ready for some rambunctious time. So Kelsey, let's go. Yeah. Until next time. See ya. See ya. Thanks so much for listening to Remedial Her Story, The Other 50%. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts to bring more voices to the conversation. We really appreciate that effort. Until next time.